everybody. <laughs> um, it's kind of a crazy experience when you get asked to speak up here because I would have never thought that I'd be doing this, I just have to say. Um, it's amazing how your time that you spend growing up and just, you know, with the Lord, it's amazing how you submit to him and how dreams that he's put in your heart, they come to pass. And I never thought this would be a dream of mine, but I really am so humbled and so honored and excited to speak today because I really believe that God has a word this morning for you guys. When I asked and I said, okay, God, oh, Tim asked me to preach, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> um, that's going to be way different than speaking to teenagers on a Wednesday night. <laughs> And uh, I've spoken in several different other settings, but it's, it's never um, been like a Sunday morning like this. And so I just feel really honored to be able to bring the word this morning. It's something that I don't take lightly. And so I just wanted to open with that. And this, um, this week, it's so funny because um, I'm going to bring a word that I don't usually speak this way. And so I'm taking a page out of Tim's book and I'm giving you a four point sermon. And <laughs> that's not typical for me, I will say, but God is so good, right? Amen, he's so good, he's so good. And I was praying and just asking God, okay, what do you wanna say um, to them? And I really felt like he gave me this word. And the title of my message today I'm going to say in just a second, but before I do that, oh, there it is. It's called the pits we sit in. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna pray really quick and then I'm gonna share, so. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We are so thankful for your goodness and for your kindness, for your faithfulness, and just for who you are, Lord. You are so amazing in all of your ways. Your goodness knows no bounds. And we just look to you this morning to ask that you would just just use me as your vessel this morning. I just wanna say what you have to say this morning. Lord, have your way in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's the title. That's my title this morning. It's called The Pits We Sit In. And I really felt like the Lord just dropped that phrase into my spirit. As Isaac was preaching a word uh, at the beginning of January, he spoke about God being the God of second chances. And I'm sitting there and I just heard this phrase the pits we sit in, and I'm like, is that code, Lord? What are you trying to say? Are you trying to say something to me, or what are you doing? And I just really felt like that was what he wanted me to speak on. And so um, there, you know, if you think of that, that word, like a pit, you know, it's just throughout our lives, there are pits that come in our lives that we get into, right? It's like, it comes from circumstances, it can come through personal failures or shortcomings, it can come through just what's going on in our nation and in the world right now that thrusts us right into a pit and there we are and we're like, what are we gonna do, right? And we're in a pit and we just are struggling to get our way out. I love this picture because I think it just paints a picture of what it kind of feels like. You're in a dark space and then there's like a light shining on you because there is a way out, amen? So I'm gonna read Psalm um, 40 verses one through four to you this morning because I really felt like this was just what God wanted to say this morning. So it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps. 
He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And it's just zeroing in on that part. He brought me up out of the horrible pit and he set my feet on a rock. And so if you find yourself in a pit this morning, I want you to just notice what it says right there. He brought me out and he set me on the rock. And so here's where the points come in, right? (laughs) The first, I just have four pits that I really felt like the Lord highlighted to me this morning. Um, And the first pit I wanna talk about is the pit of sin and shame. And it's kind of funny when you talk about sin because it's something that I feel like is hard to talk about sometimes because sin, it's like you're in it and then you feel that shame sometimes, right? When we hear the word sin, I think we automatically equate it with shame. And I think sometimes we tiptoe around the issue of sin because we don't wanna step on any toes and we don't wanna make people angry, we don't wanna stir the pot. And some sins and some habits can be really hard to break. Like if you're in a sin and it's a habitual sin and you've been struggling for a long time to get through it, sometimes I think it's even harder to talk about because you're like, oh, I have had this sin that I've been having a hard time with for so long and I'm still there. And so it can be really hard because I think from that, it's like we just deal with this shame and we deal with this frustration of I've I've been in this, but I don't know how to get my way out of it. And sin trips us up and it gets us really, really down and it gets us really in a place where we just feel like the worst of worsts. You know, you're thinking, wow, how could God love me in this place? Or sometimes when we're in sin, we feel like, how can I even be doing this or that or the other when my life is like this? Like you almost feel like you're, you're, you're living a double standard in a way, sometimes when you live in sin. But the truth of the matter is, is Jesus died for our sins. He died for our sins. And I don't wanna like highlight and really talk about so much of sin, but I wanna talk about the process sometimes that we go through when we are dealing with sin because that's where we get into this pit. Is like we get in pit, we get into pit, and we get in the pit, and we're in this sin and we struggle with it. But it's, I don't even necessarily sometimes think the sin that's at hand, but the shame that we deal with that can be really, really difficult. And so <clears throat> I really felt like before I kind of go into it, the Lord gave me like an illustration of what this looks like. And so I, I told Caitlin, I'm like, I wasn't gonna do this, but I'm gonna bring her up here for a second. Uh, <laughs> because I felt, like, I felt like God gave me like a picture of what this looks like. So, so we know that Jesus died for our sins, right? And here's, here's me and Jesus, like we're here. She's Jesus. <laughs> We're, we're hand in hand and we're walking together. You know, he goes where I go. We're with each other. We go this way. I'm, you know, Jesus is with me, right? He loves me. <laughs> we're in this place where, you know, we're one. Jesus and I are one. We're one with his spirit. We are one with him. And when we sin, it's almost like you feel, you feel this separation and you feel this breakaway but Jesus is never, he's never left. Jesus is looking at us, but we do this. Does that make sense? Jesus looks at us and he never leaves us. He never lets go, but we, 
<laughs> turn our face away. We turn our face away. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> um, you know, it's like we think about that, you know, when we sin and when we mess up, we feel like the Lord turns his face. And he, we sometimes feel like the Lord breaks away from us. Or we feel like the Lord is so ashamed that we are his children and so mad at us that we just put ourselves in these places where we, we, not him, we turn our face from him. And there comes the separation that we feel. It's not on Jesus's end. It's on our end because we're in this place where we're like struggling and grappling with shame and we're grappling with, oh, I'm the worst person ever. Oh, if they only knew. Oh, if they, if they just understood or even knew who I was, they wouldn't say those things about me and they wouldn't think these things of me. But Jesus is right there. He's never left us, but we're the ones that almost cut ourselves off from him even though he has never distance himself from us, right? He, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that died on the sins. He took all of our punishment, all of our sin, all of it upon himself, amen? He took all of it upon himself. But what we do is we discount the cross because we have the shame that we're carrying. Does that make sense? Like we're carrying the shame, we're carrying the guilt, and then we discount what he's done for us because we shouldn't have. And then the shame comes and the guilt comes and we're in a pit, right? Like think of yourself. But I wanna, I wanna bring this passage up to you because I, I think it really brings a lot of um, what I wanna say in this whole portion is um, in the book of Ephesians, it's addressing the church. And so this is speaking to Christians, to church people. And Ephesians 4 verses 20 through 24 says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's, that's our identity, church. We have a new man. When you believed on Jesus Christ, you got a new identity. You got a new man. You have this new identity and form of who you are, but it's, it's all because of what Jesus did for us, not in our own strength. And so Jesus wants to take us from this pit that we, I think, sit in ourselves because we created this. This is not something Jesus did. We did, and we're sitting in this place of sin and shame, and he takes us, and he sets us on the rock, like it said at the beginning um, for that psalm, and he frees us and he puts and clothes us in a new identity, but it's only through him and by looking at Jesus that we become more and more and more like Jesus. It's not from our own strength. It's not because we um, can muster up enough to do this or that or the other. I just need to be so much like Jesus. No, you are, because it's who you are. He says, he has, he has put on new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Like, that is his identity. We are holy as he is holy because he said so. 
It's not because we earned it. It's not because we can work hard enough to attain it. It's by, just like that picture with, with Caitlin right there, it's us looking at him that we become, become more and more like him. Because then we take on his identity, we take on his righteousness, we take on his clothing of truth and everything that we need because it's who Jesus is and he took it all for us. So he wants to take us from the pit of sin and shame, and then he wants to bring us the assurance of freedom. And, it's, and, I, and I chose the word assurance because some, that's where we start to doubt, right? If we're actually free, if, if we're ever gonna deal with this, if it's ever gonna go away, but Jesus gave us the assurance of freedom. You know, I don't have this up there, but John 8, 32 says, the truth will make you free. And John 8, 36 says, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Amen? You are free indeed. It's established, it's done. There's an assurance there. And so when we're having this and we have that, that part, we can't do it in our own strength to get set free from that place. We have to look to Jesus, stand in the truth of what he's done for us on the cross, and allow him to show us the way out, amen? Because when we have this right, I love, Caitlin and I were talking about this earlier because I was telling her, I don't really know how to articulate it a little bit, but she said this, when we have this right, this becomes right. And it's, it's, you know, like, yes, you're gonna have to deal with this. And sometimes sin has um, consequences. But when this is right, this becomes right. When your relationship with God becomes right, this becomes right. But Jesus is always with us. But it's in the shame, I think, that we really, really get frustrated and we get stuck in those pits. And so um, 1 John 3.20 says this. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And his commandment is to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us this commandment. So if you go back to the part before that, Pam, um, where it's talking about um, where his sin condemns us. If our heart condemns us, that part, anyway. So if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Like, I love that phrase because conviction and condemnation are not the same thing. And they don't coexist together because if your heart condemns you, think about that. The shame, the guilt, it's the, I guess, the distance and the separation you feel from God, condemnation. The voice of condemnation is speaking. And that's actually pulling us further and further away from the Lord, yeah. is that condemnation. It's, it's pulling you further and further. But conviction, what conviction does, it actually draws you towards Jesus. Because, no, it, because it's like you're not walking in your true identity and you're not walking in who God said you in, your, in the rightful way that you are. And yes, we still mess up, but do this, don't do this. Turn to the Lord, walk to the Lord, because he, he just opens his arms and he welcomes you and he forgives you. And it says in Psalms that he's separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. 
and it's and it doesn't mean that it, he he like gives us permission right to keep on sinning that's not what jesus is saying he's saying okay i know that in your humanity you cannot do this on yourself so you turn to me and we're going to walk in freedom and we're going to walk in the truth of who you are as sons and daughters of jesus christ amen does that make sense so that first pit is the pit of sin and shame, but the Lord wants to give us the assurance of freedom because it's sure, it's said, it's done, it's finished, amen? So the next pit that I have that I wanted to share was what I really felt that the Lord highlighted to me is called the pit of despair. And I looked at the definition of despair and it's probably a no-brainer, but it really just confirmed what I was trying to articulate and feel in my spirit but it's, despair is technically hopelessness, I guess is what you would call it. And I think this one is tough because I think a lot of us can get stuck in this place very easily. I call it the pit of despair because it's those places where we do lose our hope in. We lose our, we lose our confidence in the Lord. We, you know, it can be brought on by depression, anxiety, um, discouragement, disappointment. You know, it's in those places that we sit where we just feel that loss of hope. Like, there is no hope. <laughs> it's, <clears throat> it's the place of despair where you just feel like there is nothing more outside of what you're seeing around you. Like, this is where I'm gonna be, this is how it's gonna be forever, I think is some of the mentality of a person that's in despair. And we become so clouded that we can't even see a way forward or a way out. Like that picture at the beginning, it's like, you know, there's a light, but when you're in a pit of despair, you can't even see the light. You just can't even see the light. We become crippled by our emotions and we become overwhelmed by the weight of our circumstances like thinking that it's never gonna get better. I'm not here, like, and before I go further into this, I don't wanna make anybody feel bad if you are in this pit this morning because I want you to know ultimately that you're not alone. That you are not alone and that the Lord is with you and that he sees you. But I do think that we have to address this pit, especially as Christians, because I mean, I don't even think I have to say it, but we are living in very, very tumultuous times, as we know. And you know, pits can come in all sorts of ways, but one of the ways that pits come in our life is just through exterior circumstances and fear, because what you hear in our culture and in our nation is just so much devastation, right? It's so much devastation that you look out there and you're like, wow, the world is a scary place to be right now. And, and sometimes when we focus on all those things, it just launches us right there immediately. Because the fear, it's like you partner with that in a, in a moment. And it's like, then all of a sudden you're in this place where you're just feeling complete hopelessness. And, and I just thought that I would bring this up because I don't, I sympathize with you if you find yourself in this place. I really do. But I wanted to read some statistics this morning because I think it's good for us to really hear what's going on right now in regards to like mental health and anxiety and depression. And I think that we talk about it a lot, but sometimes hearing these things can be like, I, I thought that they were pretty eye-opening. And so 
This is just for the United States, but I found a study through the American Psychological Association. They did a study on mental health, and I'm just going to list off some of these statistics that they said. So, the long-term stress sustained since the COVID-19 pandemic began has had a significant impact on well-being. I think we'd all agree with that, right? It's evidenced by a significant, and they said significant, increase in reported mental health conditions and chronic illnesses. Adults ages 35 to 45 also experienced the highest, it said the highest increase in mental health diagnoses. 45% reported a mental illness in 2023, compared with 31% in 2019. So that's like over a 10% increase. Though adults ages 18 to 34 still reported the highest rate of mental illness, 50% in 20, it went to 50% in 2023. Adults ages 35 to 45 were more likely to report that money, 77% versus a 65, 65% in the economy, and this is like the numbers, the 75% is now versus in 20, 2019. The economy, 75% versus 51% were the factors that caused them significant stress. So money and exterior and environmental. More than four, this, this was really alarming to me, but more than four in five adults rated their physical health as good, very good or excellent, yet 66% of adults said they have been told by a healthcare provider that they have a chronic illness. <laughs> I know. Furthermore, 81% of adults reported their mental health as good, very good or excellent, while more than one-third, one-third, 37% said that they have been diagnosed with a mental health condition, a percentage point increase from the pre-pandemic levels, which is 32%. The majority of adults also downplayed their stress. 67% said their problems aren't bad enough to be stressed out about, <laughs> knowing that others have it worse. I mean, it's a nice thing to say, right? When asked why they don't seek treatment, adults' top reasons were the belief that therapy doesn't work. 40% have a lack of time, 39% lack insurance, 37%. Despite these reasons, nearly half said they wish they had someone to help manage their stress. 62% reported they don't talk about their stress because they don't want to burden others. Nearly a quarter of adult rated their average stress between an eight and a 10. That's pretty crazy, right? That's almost 10 out of 10, which is crazy to think about. Parents of children under the age of 18 were more likely to report that most days their stress is completely overwhelming. 48% versus a 26% in 2019. They're so stressed they feel numb or on most days, they're so stressed they cannot function, which I would call the pit of despair. Yeah. And then another like study from the State of Mental Health of America, the State of Mental Health America survey said 21% of adults are experiencing at least one mental illness, and that's roughly about 50 million people, and that's just America. 55% of adults with a mental illness have not received any help or treatment. 5.44% of adults experience a severe mental illness, 
and over 12.1 million adults have reported serious thoughts of suicide. And so I share these statistics because I think that when you hear these things, it should alarm us as Christians. And it's not that because the unfortunate reality is as Christians in the body of Christ, we deal with some of these same issues. And I don't ever want to make people feel like if they're in this place where they feel so overwhelmed and hopeless, like, like you're, just a, you're always gonna be there and there's no hope in this, that, or the other. My, my hope and my goal is, is that when we hear these words, it should almost put a spark in us to say something needs to change. Because we should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> because we have a hope and we have an assurance, right? And so I, I say it because I see this as a hope issue. I see anxiety and I see stress and I see all those things. I think it really does boil down to a hope issue. Because if, if you think about it, if you don't have a hope, you're obviously gonna feel those things. Because when you're thinking about some of those issues that I just talked about, it's almost like you don't feel like there's any hope to get out of it, you know? And, and I have been there myself. And I think that it's, it's crazy because I think, again, like I said earlier on with this point, is we can feel so alone in those places, but you're not alone in them. Um, I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was living on my own and I had some roommates. And due to some circumstances that had happened around me, I became like severely depressed. Um, so much so that the only thing that I wanted to do when I got home was just like lay around on the couch. And it was just really, really sad. <laughs> um, I, I was, you know, I got to a point where I just, I didn't really want to technically be by myself, but it was nice to have roommates because at least I wasn't by myself. Um, and it wasn't to the point where I was suicidal in my thinking, but I was, it crippled me so much to where I did not want to do anything. Like, I just, I was serving on the worship team, I was holding a full-time job, you know, you were doing the things, but when I got home at the end of the day, when my thoughts were left to myself, I felt severely depressed. Like, just so much that I just, I just really did lose my hope. And, and it was a weird time of my life because I'm a pretty positive person. <laughs> uh, and so when I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a glass half full person. My mom always says, you're always looking at like the, the positive side of things. <laughs> and, and because I am, but in this time when I was in my young 20s, I had a really, really hard time in depression. And I remember getting to like a breaking point almost. And I went into Julie's office one day because I was serving in the worship team. I think I might have been doing an internship. I don't really remember. I don't even know if you'll remember this, Julie, but I come to Julie's office and, you know, in her kind way, she said, I was like, Julie, I need to talk to you. And she's like, what's wrong? And, you know, and I just shared with her and I was just honest. And it was one of the hardest things for me to do. I just, I didn't want people to know that I was in that state. I was just in this place, you know, I was leading worship, I was helping on the worship team, but I was really, really crippled in my state of depression. I just, I was so bogged down by hopelessness and, and just fear and just so, just like this trap. And when I shared with Julie, I will never, ever, ever forget this moment because it was so pivotal for my walk with the Lord. And, and so she said, well, let's pray, let's pray, Katie. And so we grabbed hands and, I remember so clearly her saying this to me. 
as we're praying, and she said, I see a picture of Jesus with a set of keys for you. And he's giving you back the keys that you gave over. And it was this picture that she saw, and I'm crying, she's crying, (laughs) and we're just like in this place of this picture, and she saw this picture of the Lord giving me back my keys. And I don't know what what that did to me, but it completely broke off depression, completely. Like, I can't even tell you the experience and the encounter I felt in that moment, but it was like this whole weight that I was carrying on my shoulders of just, oh, this is the worst place to be. It felt so heavy. It was just like all of a sudden it lifted and I was free. I was free. And um, it made me think of this, and and Tim had shared this a couple weeks ago in his message with uh, the prayer, but it's Matthew 6, 19. It says, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that's, that's the reality, church, is when we are in these places, we need to remember that we have the keys of the kingdom. And, and it is a hope issue. Like, Jesus gave us the authority to overcome. He gave us the authority, not the authority. Like, he gave us the keys. And I know sometimes some of you might be thinking, well, Katie, I've been in this place for forever. I've tried everything. I've had people pray with me. I've, had, I've done a deliverance. I've, you know, tried to worship my way out of it and all this stuff. And I understand that some of these places are really hard to break loose from. And if you do need help, I'm not discounting getting help at all. I'm just saying I do think it boils down to a hope issue because our reality is we have a future hope Amen. Like this life, this life is temporary. It's temporary. And I think that when we're in this pit, one of the things that can get us out of it, the Lord wants to bring us to a place of purpose, from the pit of despair to a place of purpose. And I think one of the best ways to get there is by having an eternal perspective. Because we are unique in the sense when you believe on the Lord Jesus, we have a place where we're headed, right? We know where we're going after. And sometimes I think we forget that when we're in those places. And Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's good news. That's really good news. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, again, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is our reality. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those are precious, precious promises. And the Lord wants to take you from the pit of despair today, and he wants to bring you to a place of promise and of hope and purpose. So the third pit that I really thought that the Lord highlighted to me was the pit of isolation, which I think the pit of despair and the pit of isolation kind of go hand in hand. 
Because if you can get to the place of despair, I think it's really easy to get to isolation right from there. And just like I had shared where I had to go to Julie, that was a really hard decision because I wanted to stay isolated. Like, because when you're in despair, the loneliness sets in and it's easy for you to just retreat, right? And I think that this is a really, really dangerous pit to get to, church, because we were never, ever, ever created to do this life alone. Never. And if the enemy can get you to a place in a pit of isolation, we stay there, and it's like, that's where I think he just really, really prays. Because we're in our weakest places, I feel like, when we're alone. We are weak. We're very weak alone. And I think that as a result of the pit of despair, we get to a pit of isolation, making us feel like we, we really are alone. We're by ourselves, and it's a really, really scary place to be. And <clears throat> I have another kind of example for you when you're in the pit of isolation, because I think sometimes when we're there, reaching out can be really difficult because you almost feel like, well, does anybody care? Does anybody wanna listen to me? Kind of what those statistics were saying earlier, a lot of people didn't want to reach out because they didn't wanna burden other people. And that's just a lie of the enemy that you should just toss out there. Um, but it's really, really easy to get there. It's super easy to get to isolation. It doesn't even have to be from a place of hopelessness. Like, it's so easy to get to a place of isolation. I can't tell you how many times I have just, it is so easy. I'm a person that is not super extroverted, so it's really easy for me to isolate. <laughs> I, I really think it's, I'm comfortable by myself. I like being by myself. I like being home by myself. It's a very comfortable place for me to be. And, um, around the time, so I came on staff here um, almost seven years ago, and shortly after that, <laughs> shortly after that, Isaac took the position of youth pastor yeah. and young adult, <laughs> young adult pastor, and. Um, <laughs> It's crazy to think about, you know, like we were both like fresh on staff right with each other pretty much. And boy, did we have a lot to figure out. Um, <laughs> little did we know the journey, right? So in that time frame, we're trying to figure out for, like ministry, right? It's like you get into this role and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know what I'm doing. And then take it like one step further, you know? when you're trying to figure things out sometimes, I think you just kind of easily become isolated, in my opinion, because you're like, I don't want anything else to stress me out because I'm already trying to figure this out. And, and so I'm not saying that's what Isaac, where Isaac was at, but that's totally where I was at. I was just really trying to figure out what I was doing, taking on this role, and then I just, you know, was really overwhelmed. And in that time frame, Caitlin, um, Caitlin and I have always been friends, since high school, actually. For always. <laughs> we've, we've always been friends with each other. And um, so she's obviously here with Isaac. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because we had a friendship, and then we had to kind of find our friendship and find our way again. Um, because now she's around, and it's great. But 
I was in this place of trying to figure out ministry and all this stuff. And all my friends, my closest friends, had moved away. Um, and that was, you know, as you're an adult, it's a part of life, right? Your friends move away, things change, people have babies. You know, you have, life just continues to change when you're an adult. And the thing that was really hard for me when my friends all moved away is I did feel kind of isolated. I felt very, very alone and very like, um, I guess I would say kind of trying to find my way with friendships again because it was hard for me to be like, I wanna let you in because I was afraid they were gonna leave me. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so um, Caitlin comes and you know, I'm like, oh, this is great, you know, my friends, my friends here again. But Caitlin and I are very, very different people. We're very different people. <laughs> um, we have actually, as a matter of fact, our personalities are this way. We are so opposite, like the most opposite you could be. And Caitlin and I, when Caitlin moved here, and you know, I'm fresh on staff, Isaac's fresh on staff, Caitlin's a little, around a little more. Caitlin and I had quite the struggle for the first several years of ministry with each other. Like, it was really hard, you guys. Um, I'm not even gonna lie. And it's so, not only do, am I trying to figure out my position and what I'm doing, I have this struggle that's happening with Caitlin. And it's not because she's a bad person, it's not because I'm a bad person, but we had a lot of strife in our friendship because we were so different. We were so different that she saw pink and I saw like blue, or you know, she saw it this way and I viewed it a totally different way. And we really, really had to struggle through our relationship, which was so hard for me because I was already feeling so isolated. I was already feeling so kind of alone in this place after all my friends had just moved away. And I'm like, well, Caitlin's here, but I don't wanna be friends with her. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. It was so hard because she was so different than me. <laughs> and the reason I share this example is because I want you to know that we're not that way anymore. Um, <laughs> but, and I share it also because what Caitlin and I did in our relationship and in our friendship is we fought for it. And it was really, really difficult to fight for it because like I said, she would see pink and I would see blue. And it was like, we did not communicate well. We did not, like I remember having several phone call conversations that we would just sit in awkward silence because we didn't know what to say to each other, <laughs> you know? And um, it was so, so hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was asking Caitlin if I could share this example because it became such a beautiful story of what it looks like to fight for community because I was in a place where I was really struggling and she was too. I mean, they just took this position as the pastors and obviously they're in a very alone kind of place trying to figure things out. But we had this going on, which made it even harder. But it took Caitlin pressing in and pushing what she wanted and it took me being open because I didn't want to get hurt again and I didn't want to get damaged again because I'm like, well, Caitlin's just gonna leave me too, so I might as well keep her at arm's length 
because I just don't, you know, and I had this bubble around me, but it took her leaning in and it took her really, really fighting and it took me really being open with my heart to just say, okay, this relationship is worth it. I one time heard the Holy Spirit tell me in that process, he said, Caitlin is here to stay. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, it's so funny. It's so funny to laugh because I look at God's beautiful, beautiful work in our lives and in our relationship and how much we both grew through that entire process that now, like when we leaned in, we really had like this beautiful friendship that came about as a result of it. And Caitlin is one of my closest friends and we do life together, we do ministry together and it's so beautiful, but it's, it's in those places where we don't want to let other people in that I feel like the enemy just swirls around you. I could have stayed in that place and could have still been miserable without any friendships here. Like, I could have been. But God wanted me to lean into community. And I think sometimes, especially with hurt, because there were some hurtful things that Caitlin and I both had said to one another, some very hurtful things, but yet, in that process, I think sometimes we, at the sign of hurt in conflict and in um, difficulty in relationships, we don't ever wanna work through it because it's too painful. And we get really, really like, I guess you wanna say distanced. And sometimes this really, actually it happens a lot in the church. Like something happens and something offends you and then you, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna work through that. But when you press in, and when you lean into the community that's around you, and when you work through those difficult things, you will grow. You will grow and you will be a better person as a result of it. And I am a better person because of what Caitlin and I worked through in our relationship. And First um, Peter 5, 8 through 10 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he's gonna devour. And then in verse nine, it says, resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know how funny that is that you read a scripture and you never see something? And for the first time I saw that phrase, know that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood. So you see that as you resist the enemy, it's like resist him, steadfast in your faith, but know that other people are dealing with the same thing. There's community, there's struggles that other people are dealing with, and I think one of the best ways is the Lord wants to take us from the pit of isolation because he wants us to have that blessing of community because people are with you and people are walking through the same things that you are. And sometimes it's awkward and uncomfortable to push past that barrier, but God wants you to get the blessing from the community of people around you. But so easily we flee at the sight of hardship and we flee at the sight of conflict because it's uncomfortable. But if you lean in, it's like know that, that you are resisting the enemy because other people are experiencing. They're experiencing it too. And Galatians 6, 2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So know that if you're struggling in this place of isolation, I would encourage you to press in and to not withdraw. Because when you press in, that's when you resist the enemy and that's when you tell him to back off because we're stronger together. 
We're so much stronger together, church. And the enemy would love to only divide us. And there's so much division in our culture right now that that's the last thing we need to be doing is causing division within the brethren because other people are dealing, the brotherhood is dealing with it. So resist him, resist him in that. And I would just encourage you to press in, press in, lean into the body, ask somebody to pray with you because it matters. It really matters that we're not alone. Amen. Who can you believe we're at the fourth pit now? <laughs> I told you it's weird for me to do like a four-point sermon, but this is what the Lord had for you today. So <laughs> the last pit I want to share is really the one that I want to highlight the biggest is called the pit of preparation. And this one I think is the most frustrating of all of them in my opinion. <laughs> um, there are pits, and these are the pits that the Lord intends to grow us in. And I think it's hard because as Christians, sometimes it's like things happen in our lives, right? And we're in pits, we go through difficulty, we go through hardship, all of those pits that I just mentioned, but some of them, some of them can be intended by God. Some pits that we are in are intended and they're specific where God has you because he's really wanting to grow you in that place. And I really, really love the book, um, the book of Genesis with the story of Joseph in it, because I think Joseph is just a great example. And I know that so many of you guys know his story. You know, his brothers threw him in a pit. They intended to kill him. He gets sold to slavery. He gets accused of rape. He gets accused of so many things. And then he gets thrown in prison. And he has this whole difficult, difficult journey. And, you know, it's amazing because you look at all those things that happen. You're like, what did Joseph do to deserve all of that? You know? And... It's amazing to me because when you read through the story in Genesis, you'll see this phrase, the Lord was with him. Yet the Lord was with him. Yet the Lord, yet the Lord. And that really jumped out to me because I think when we're in the pit of preparation, we're just thinking, how could you do this to me, God? Um, but at, it's true. At the end, at the end of it, um, in Genesis 45, I love the way that this story ends. Um, Genesis 45, verse three to eight says, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. Can you imagine? You sold your brother, you know, threw him in a pit and then later, you know, oh, I just can't even imagine that encounter. And his brothers, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me there. For God sent me, look at that part, God sent me before you to preserve your life. For these two years, the famine had been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you. Again, he says it again, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, again there it is, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house. And then in Psalm 105, 
Um, it's kind of recalling the works of God, but in verse 17 through 19, it was talking about Joseph. He said, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons. Until the time his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And I think we try so hard in the pit of preparation to try to understand why we're there. And Julie, you can come now if you would. Um, we try so hard in that place to understand why am I here. I don't fully understand why God would have me in this pit and why I'm in this torture, why I'm in this place where I have to be here and it drives us sick sometimes, right? Like, it'll drive you sick trying to answer the question, why am I here? But it is for your preparation and for your growth and for your good. Because it's in those places where, you know, Jesus talks about in John how he'll like prune us, right? He prunes even the good fruit because there are some things that God needs you to go through to take you to, and this is where he wants to get us to. He wants us to get us to the fulfillment of those promises that he has for us. And there are things that it's like if he were to give you those things immediately because there's that immediacy that we always want. We want things to happen suddenly. We want them to happen on our time frame. We want them to happen in the way that we think that they should happen. But God has a greater purpose. He has a greater purpose. And some of those things in those pits that you're in, and in, especially in the place of preparation, the Lord is doing a work in you. And I think about Joseph, and I think about him in that pit, probably thinking, what on earth did I do to deserve this? But he was tested in that place so that later when his brothers came about to see him, there was beautiful reconciliation. There was a beautiful story as a result of this. But I think if he were in that pit and he were to get that place of promotion right then, I don't think he would have been able to handle it. I don't think he would have had that capacity to, to really have the maturity of ruling an entire region. You know, I just don't think that he would. But God brings this places of preparation to give us the fulfillment of his promises for your life. Like, and I think the best example that we could ever possibly think of is Jesus. Jesus is our example. And he went through the ultimate, ultimate difficulty that anybody could ever face. And in John 12, 27, I found this verse the other day that just about blew me away. But Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about his death. And he said, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus himself went through a test, but it was for the purpose so that we could have that freedom and that relationship with him. And Jesus in the garden, he's going, God, would you take this from me? God, take this cup from me. But here's what he did, but not my will, yours be done, Lord. And I think that's the posture we need to take as Christians when we're in this pit. It's like, you could, you could ask and make yourself sick all day long thinking, why Lord, why Lord, why Lord, why Lord? But how about instead you say, okay, Lord, 
I'm struggling with the why, but not my will. Yours be done. Yours be done, God, because he knows the end from the beginning. And he knows some of these things that you're going through, they're getting you ready for what you're about to do. Like, they're getting you ready for where he's taking you. They're getting you ready for where he wants to bring you. Maybe the people that he wants to save through you or whatever. It's the Lord in those places of preparation. I think we should rephrase our why and submit to, okay, God, what am I to do in this place? And um, the so I just wanna kind of hone in on is 1 Peter 1, 3, 1, 3 through 8. And it says, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, excuse me, incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now, though now, for a little while, if need be, you're grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, though it's tested, it may be found to praise to honor and to glorify the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. That, that is what it's about. Though we be tested by fire, may it be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. So at this time, you guys can go ahead and stand and if the prayer team could come up, all that to say, church, today, I really strongly believe when God gave this word to me that he really wants to deliver some of you out of some pits this morning. If you're dealing with one of the pits that I had talked about this morning, we'd love to pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you if you'd like. And we have the people of the prayer team. Or if you just would like a prayer from God and um, somebody just pray with you in general, they're here for you. But. I'm just gonna close out by praying and just thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to bring this word to you guys this morning. I love you all, so let's just pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are so amazed at the beauty of who you are. You are so kind and you're gracious and you're gentle that you, you care about us so much that you are willing to sit with us in pits to really bring us out so that we are standing firm on the rock, God. And I just thank you that, that you will stop at nothing to deliver us from these places. And Lord, we are so thankful and we are so amazed at your goodness. So Lord, I pray for those that might find themselves in one, one of these pits today, God, that you would remind them of where you're at and what you're doing in their lives and that they would know that you are at their right hand. And because you're at their right hand, they don't need to be moved, God. And so I just declare that in this place. I declare that over everyone under the sound of my voice this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your deliverance. You're so amazing in all of your ways. And we give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.